Hi there, it's Matt here once again, and welcome back to, in fact, the final episode in this mini-series all about insomnia. So let's just dive right back in and pick up where we left off in the last episode. And in that last episode, I gave you the broad brushstrokes of what cognitive behavioral therapy for insomnia or CBTI is. Today, our goal is to click the magnification lens and go a little deeper in terms of our understanding of CBTI. To be clear, CBTI is an incredibly complex, very skilled, and very nuanced clinical therapy. And it's practiced by qualified licensed clinicians, or at least I should say it should be. And if you're receiving CBTI, just make sure that that person actually is qualified and a licensed clinician. And this podcast isn't meant to be a comprehensive review of what CBTI is, and therefore it doesn't seek to try and replace or even disrespect that complexity. Here, I simply want to give you some of the fundamentals. I will also provide you with some links in the show notes that I think could be helpful for you. So simplistically, we can split apart some of the individual steps of CBTI into perhaps at least five different components. Now, there are many more components than that, but here I'm just going to cover sort of five core components. And these components together will cover those two main sort of silos, those two main pillars of CBTI that I discussed in the last episode. Those being the cognitive aspects of cognitive behavioral therapy for insomnia and the behavioral aspects of you don't need me to go there. Anyway, what are those five core principles of CBTI? Well, the first is something called sleep restriction therapy. The second is called sleep hygiene. The third is what we call stimulus control. The fourth is called cognitive restructuring. And the fifth centers on relaxation therapies. And as I noted, there are other aspects of CBTI and different people and different clinicians will emphasize different features. And it all depends on your unique state of insomnia. But I think these are a pretty good spread of five core elements to go deeper on. Let's start with the first, and that's sleep restriction therapy. And indeed, I think we're going to spend a lot of our time here because some studies have shown that it is the sleep restriction therapy component of CBTI that can be one of, if not the most effective components of CBTI. Of course, all of them are critical. You can't escape by just doing one thing. You can't shortcut it. You can't shortchange it. Sleep restriction therapy, it sounds scary, and it sounds completely oxymoronic. I know. So let's say that I go to a sleep clinic as a patient and I have insomnia. And I say to the clinician, look, I'm just not getting enough sleep. I just can't get enough sleep. And then the CBTI clinician says, I understand and I have a treatment for you. 
and it's called sleep restriction. <laughs> My response is, wait, what? What do you... And like cue the, the sound of the record needle scratching you like... Oh. Um, that's actually not how a record needle... So anyway, God, I get myself into trouble. Um, in truth, that's not really what sleep restriction therapy is about. Indeed, many of the clinicians that I know have started to call it something different. Things such as bedtime restriction therapy or even less scary and <laughs> perhaps less of a malapropism bedtime rescheduling. Notice in those last two terms, there is no mention of sleep whatsoever. And that's because sleep restriction therapy is not about restricting your sleep so much as restricting the time that you are in bed. Simply put, sleep restriction therapy or bedtime restriction therapy involves a very religious limiting of the amount of time that you are allowed to be in bed each and every night. And this is its categorical outright limits in terms of stop and start. So to make this example easier in terms of numbers, let's say that I normally go to bed at midnight and then I don't get out of bed until 8am. But unfortunately, I'm only averaging about five hours of sleep a night because of my insomnia. Notice right away what that means about me, the patient. It means that I have a very low, very poor sleep efficiency. So of the eight hours of time that I'm in bed, I'll spend three of those hours awake. That's not necessarily in one long single stretch. It can be littered throughout the night. But as a result, my sleep is going to be very inefficient. Indeed, based on those numbers, I would have a sleep efficiency of less than 69%. What I just described is a miserable way to spend a night in bed. And there is no reason for me to be awake for that long. And in fact, being in bed awake for that long is going to be one of the very worst things that I can do for my insomnia. This is where sleep restriction therapy solves the problem. This podcast is supported by Athletic Greens. Now, Athletic Greens is a comprehensive nutritional drink and it contains countless different health components. Let me stop there. I say countless. I actually know the company pretty well and I know how the product is made. And I believe at last count, it's over 75 different vitamins and minerals and probiotics, prebiotics, and other whole food source nutrients. And you consume it every day. And I do drink Athletic Greens. And for the record, I buy my own supply because of all of the obvious sort of integrity trappings that come with free product. And I just don't want to get into that. So as I said, I know the company really quite well, including their stellar CEO. And I trust the creation and their manufacturing procedures. They've got all of the correct stamps, things like TGA and GMP stamps. Basically, they're rigorous. So anyway, if you are mindful of your health, then you may want to check them out at the link, which is athleticgreens.com 
forward slash Matt Walker. And if you use that link, you'll get some money off your first order and also some free travel packs. So that's athleticgreens.com forward slash Matt Walker. A typical sleep restriction therapy program is designed to essentially fire up and drive up your brain's appetite for sleep. In other words, your brain's hunger for sleep. And that's an appetite and a hunger that unfortunately, as a patient with insomnia, your brain may have lost. And the goal of sleep restriction therapy is to change that situation and have you sleeping in a nice, long, single, continuous bout throughout the night, or even nice long bouts with just a few short awakenings. Doesn't that sound nice, by the way? And it really is. Well, it turns out that the process of sleep restriction therapy, it's not easy. And you do have to be very motivated. You have to not give up. And in fact, many clinicians, as they're starting out, will ask you about that. They'll say, are you really motivated to solve your insomnia? Because they know it's going to be a hard journey. But it is so, so worth the effort. So let me explain how it works. Sleep restriction therapy is going to limit the amount of time that you are allowed to be in bed. So let's return to my example. Normally, I'm going to bed at midnight. I'm getting out of bed at 8 a.m. Sleep restriction therapy would markedly cut this time in bed down. So for example, now my clinician would ask me not to go to bed at midnight, but instead go to bed two hours later, meaning that I can't get into bed until 2 a.m. every night. And then I'm going to wake up at my normal time of 8 a.m. And then I have to repeat this night after night after night. And that's the thing. You don't start sleeping better immediately. In fact, at first you can still have just as bad sleep as you were getting before you started the sleep restriction therapy. Things can feel no different because it takes time and you have to trust in the process. But slowly, it will start to work. And it is quite remarkable because in one of those later nights, you'll get into bed, you'll turn off the light. And the next thing that you know, the alarm goes off at 8 a.m. in the morning. And for the first time in months, maybe even in years, you have slept all the way through the night. So why is it so effective? Well, let me explain. And once I do, it will make perfect sense, I promise. It all comes back to one of the very first episodes of this podcast. It was an episode called Sleep Pressure. And as you'll remember, from the moment that you woke up and got out of bed this morning, a chemical has been building up in your brain. That chemical is called adenosine. And the more adenosine that you build up in the brain, the sleepier and sleepier you'll become. And that's what we call sleep pressure. And after being awake across the entire day and the evening, you can build up enough of that adenosine, enough of that really nice, thick, heavy sleepiness so that you can fall asleep easily and then stay asleep soundly across the night. And it is sleep restriction that uses this mechanism. So let's go back to our example again. What we've done by having me go to bed 
two hours later and only allowing me to be in bed for six hours means that I'm going to have to be awake for 18 hours. So what we're doing here is adding a delicious, heavy extra two hours of sleepiness, adenosine buildup of adenosine accumulation in my brain as the insomnia patient. And this creates an even greater pressure for sleep within the brain. And then we'll do it the next night and then the next night. And that sleep pressure just keeps building and it keeps building like good compounding interest on one of your savings accounts at the bank. And after some nights of me doing this, and it's different for different patients, I will get into bed at my sleep restriction therapy time of 2 a.m. And I will now be so wonderfully sleepy, so thick with sleepiness that I fall asleep quickly. And then that luscious, heavy accumulation of sleepiness that is weighing me down is going to keep me asleep soundly all the way across the night through until the morning. If, <laughs> if that doesn't make sense, um, I guess a, a different analogy could be, let's say that you normally go to the gym. I, I'm someone who goes to the gym, I'm a little bit religious about my exercise. And normally you go to the gym for an hour every day. But in truth, if you look at that hour of time that you spend in the gym, uh, maybe you're only really working out for 35 or 40 minutes of that one hour. And the other time you're chatting with people and you're looking at social media and checking email. In other words, it's not really a very effective workout. But let's say that one day as you're walking into the gym, the person at the front desk says the following. Look, I am sorry, but we've now got a time limit and you're only allowed to be in the gym for 35 minutes. And all of a sudden I'm thinking, oh my goodness, I've only got 35 minutes to get my workout in. And at that point, I become very efficient. My system, essentially my gym system here, rather than my sleep system, but that's what we mean. My gym routine system becomes very efficient. My hunger and my focus is exclusively on my workout. Otherwise, I'm not going to get the chance to get the type of intensity of workout in that I need. Just as my sleep efficiency increases when I reduce the amount of time that I get to do that particular activity. In the former, it was exercise. In the latter, it's sleep. And that brings us back to some of the numbers. Recall that I told you I was only getting five hours of sleep a night, even though I was spending eight hours of time in bed. But notice also that now with sleep restriction, I'm sleeping almost six hours a night even though I'm in bed for two hours of less time every night. And now what that means is that my sleep efficiency will have gone from, let's say, just 69% and me spending maybe three hours of the night in bed awake to up to 90 or 95% sleep efficiency, where I'm sleeping almost all of that time. Obviously, six hours of sleep is not enough for the average adult. 
And once you have stabilized in terms of your now improved sleep, and you've almost retrained the brain or reprogrammed the brain, right? It's not reprogramming the brain. That sounds a little bit sci-fi. I don't mean it like that, but it's just sort of a turn of phrase. Once you've retrained the system and the patient has started to sleep in a healthy manner consistently across the night, the clinician will very slowly start to add back more time that you're allowed in bed. But little by little, perhaps now instead of me going to bed at 2 a.m. in the morning, I'm allowed to go to bed at 1.30 a.m. in the morning. And that adds 30 minutes of additional sleep opportunity. And if my sleep continues to be nice and solid and continuous, which by the way is measured by the clinician because you're going to be keeping all of these sleep diaries so they can check on what's happening to you, then I may be allowed to go to bed at 1 a.m. And the clinician will just keep titrating this with the patient, gradually letting the rope out in terms of the amount of time that they can spend in bed. However, if at any point the patient starts to spend too much time in bed awake, then shh, the clinician will nip it in the bud and they will reduce back down the amount of time that you're allowed in bed. So I think with all of that, uh, gosh, this is already getting long. Oh my goodness. I want to spend a good amount of time on that though. I think you get the idea now. And the reason I'm doing that is because it is one of the more powerful methods of CBTI. And that's why I wanted to spend the majority of our time there. So let me finish up the episode then by doing a much shorter summary. I promise it's going to be much shorter of the other four main core features of CBTI that I described. The second is called sleep hygiene. And we've already covered sleep hygiene in the podcast that came before the series on insomnia. And that podcast was called Optimizing Your Sleep. I will simply add that sleep hygiene alone is not enough for people with insomnia. It is necessary, but it's not at all sufficient for people with insomnia. The third of those five components of CBTI that I mentioned is relaxation methods. These are different for different people, but it comes back to something we described in an earlier episode on insomnia, where you've got an overactive stress system. The fight or flight branch of the nervous system is switched on in too high a gear. And so these relaxation methods can not only help relax the body, but they can also relax the mind in terms of the whole stress of this thing called insomnia and their stress around the bedroom. So things like taking a warm bath or a shower, which we've discussed in our previous episodes on temperature, are sometimes recommended. Also doing uh, a little bit of yoga or light stretching or certain breathing techniques are recommended as a way to calm the mind and the body. And then something else that you may not have thought of, which is just as relaxing for your brain and for your body, is how you prepare your bedroom. And what I mean by this is trying to keep your bedroom free of all clutter. So free of electronic devices, free of televisions, free of laptops, really try to make it a calm place. Now, I'm a hard-nosed scientist and that type of stuff I'm thinking, you know, it doesn't really. But if you look at the data, it's great advice. So keep your bedroom free of visual clutter and activating triggers. 
they are small things, but they do make a difference. A sponsor of today's show is Inside Tracker. Now, Inside Tracker is a service, and they come to your home, as they do for me, and they will analyze your blood and your DNA to know precisely what is happening inside of you regarding a host of different blood and metabolic and hormonal health metrics. What I also like is that in addition to the results, they then provide you with a personalized set of recommended, I guess, sort of lifestyle changes and suggestions to better optimize your health as a consequence of what those results were for you, that unique snowflake. So you can use the link insidetracker.com forward slash Matt Walker, and you will get a healthy discount from your purchase. So again, that is insidetracker.com forward slash Matt Walker. The fourth component of CBTI is cognitive restructuring. And this is important. This is part of the cognitive component of cognitive behavioral therapy for insomnia. And it involves your clinician interviewing you and learning about your beliefs, um, or more specifically, I should say, your misbeliefs about sleep. And then based on that interview, they will start to disrupt these dysfunctional thoughts and these dysfunctional beliefs around sleep. That all sounds very philosophical. What's a good example? What's a concrete example? Well, maybe the clinician would target the incorrect belief that I can never sleep. I am never going to be able to sleep. Or even something more catastrophic. I might die tomorrow if I don't get sleep tonight. And the clinician will just try to help counter some of these more perhaps illogical or irrational. Now, they seem perfectly logical and perfectly rational to the patient. But of course, based on the scientific data, the clinician can then counsel the patient and ease them back into a more realistic mindset with logical data and give them assurances. And those assurances will help them relax a little bit more around sleep. And that's good because they can start to decrease the amount of anxiety that patients will have as the evening is getting closer and their bedtime starts to get closer. All of a sudden, the bedroom becomes this triggering device. Well, doing this type of cognitive restructuring can reframe all of that and take the anxiety and the stress away from that associated experience. The final item on our list is called stimulus control. And I've also covered this in the episode all about optimizing your sleep. The tagline there that I used was walk it out. In other words, don't stay awake in bed for long periods of time. Working with the patient in the context of insomnia, they're told to get out of bed any time that they've been awake for, let's say, 25 minutes or longer, either that they've been trying to fall asleep or they've woken back up and they're trying to get back to sleep, if it's been 25 minutes or more, that's the general rule of thumb. Because many patients that you speak with will just describe that they lie there in bed, awake, fretting, worrying, catastrophizing, and therefore you very quickly learn a bad association between your bed being this place where I'm always awake and not falling asleep. And we need to break that association. 
And this sort of explains another one of these features that I'll often hear from people when they're mentioning their insomnia. And they have a confused look on their face. They'll say, I am falling asleep watching television on the couch in the evening. And then I get into bed and I'm wide awake and I don't know why. And the reason is because they've learned the association, the conditioned association, that the bed is this place of being awake. And you need to control that trigger. You need to control that stimulus and therefore relearn a new association. That's what we call stimulus control. So those are the five fundamental aspects of CBTI sleep restriction therapy, sleep hygiene, stimulus control, cognitive restructuring, and relaxation therapies. And to repeat from the last episode, I think if you ask me to summarize insomnia from a patient perspective, I would say that in part, it's a condition where you lose all confidence in your ability to sleep. But CBTI is designed to powerfully restore that confidence, restoring your sound, confident ability to sleep throughout the night. And in this way, you start controlling your sleep rather than feeling that your sleep controls you. Oh my goodness, I'm looking at the time. This is so long. Uh, I do apologize. I hope it's okay. The reason I'm spending so much time here is just because the suffering caused by terrible sleep and insomnia means that I wanted to try and bring as much attention and as much understanding, at least as I could in a podcast, to this topic. Now, if you want to read more about CBTI, there's a wee book that you can buy from one of the world's best CBTI clinicians uh, and a good friend. It's by Colin Espy, who is a professor at Oxford University, and his book is called Overcoming Insomnia, a self-help guide using cognitive behavioral techniques. I'll leave a link, by the way, in the show notes to that book. And I'll also leave a link to a set of PDF slides all about CBTI. And it's a set of slides that's publicly available. And it's from a workshop by another wonderful sleep clinician, Dr. Virginia Runco. So you can visit those in the show notes, as I said. And with that, I will wish you reliable and robust sleep. If you are struggling with insomnia, please do seek out CBTI. Take care and goodbye for now.